Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 93. Today we spoke to Sonia O'Sullivan, Olympian in track and field, lover of coffee and inspiration to all Irish people. Sonia is a hero and role model here in Ireland. She won a silver medal in the 5,000 meters in the Sydney Olympic Games in 2000. She has won gold in the World and European Championships. She's been the chef de mission and carried the Olympic flame for Ireland. She writes regularly and has had many diverse roles in sport over the years. This episode was particularly special for me. In the beginning, Sonia was the one person I most wanted to speak with. To unpack what it makes to be a high performer in life, this conversation was so much fun and all we expected it to be. Sonia shares what it's like being in quarantine in Australia now, her love of coffee and how she now spends most of her time with her two dogs now that her daughters have left for college. We have a lovely dialogue about charity work as Sonia gives so much back each year and why she decided to go to university in the USA. Special mention to our new venture at The Learning Physiotherapist, an online community for physiotherapists to share experiences, have mentorship, build relationships, improve their interpersonal soft skills and develop deeply. It is a non-profit with proceeds going towards research for many different medical conditions and supporting charities. Thank you for joining us, Sonia. It was truly worth the wait. Sanyo Sullivan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. It's uh, it's taken a while, but uh, finally you've got me to sit down. Just so everyone understands a while, I've been trying to get Sanyo Sullivan on this podcast for about 12 and a half months. So, um... Delighted that we finally managed to speak to you, Sonia. And so everyone knows you're actually in quarantine at the moment. And what's that like? I am. Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a hotel in Brisbane. And um, yeah, it's one of those things. It's kind of hard to explain it really until you're in it and then you understand it. And I think it can be quite different for everybody and it can be different wherever you end up being. I suppose there's pros and cons to everything. So I've got a room and the window doesn't open which kind of freaked me out a little bit initially because I would generally, you know, spend a good few hours of my day outside. Um, but we are allowed to go out for exercise and you can, you can pretty much go out as much as you want, but you have to call up on the phone and get your name on a list. And then a police officer will come and knock on your door and you don't know, that could be 15 minutes or it could be a couple of hours, depending how busy they are. Wow. And so you generally have to be ready to go when they knock on the door. So I'm always, you know, have all my, cause you need all your, you need to wear a mask and then I have to have my headphones and my phone and my phone carrier, my drink and my towel. <laughs> so the last thing I do is put my shoes on. And uh, so I always open the door and I say to him, yeah, I just got to put my shoes on. So this morning I came flying out and the guy, yeah. how did you get your shoes on so quick? <laughs> <laughs> then he looked at it, oh, you didn't tie the laces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to get out. And then I figure once I'm out there, then I can uh, sort everything else out outside. And what was it? So you'd have stepped off the airplane and 
are you are you kind of escorted as it were to like a government mandated hotel like you're obviously not at home what's that like when you come off um, the plane yeah well you get off the plane yeah and it's all very quiet because there's not very many planes coming in so we were the only plane that came in it was late at night you get handed out a sheet of paper and it tells you what hotel you're going to and then there was one fella jumping around all excited because he thought it was a nice fancy hotel <laughs> you know a hotel is a hotel, really. <laughs> and, He's going uh, to the Four Seasons, but he can't use the spa. Yeah, you can't use anything, really. You know, Even where we get taken down to walk, it's a very small area. And it's a it's a pool area with a bar. And so you're walking around this kind of little courtyard thing. But, you know, the bar is closed and the pool is closed off. And there's, you know, a few police watching you and a few of the Australian, the, the Defence Force, a few of them hanging around. So it's all very secure. And yeah, you're not really supposed to mingle with other people out there either. So yeah, everybody's kind of out there doing their own thing. After a few days, when you go at a regular time, you you see the same faces. So, uh, you know, then people kind of say hello and good morning. And I think that's, I was thinking about that this afternoon. I know some people who've been in quarantine hotels and they have to stay in their room. But the greatest thing about being able to go down for the exercise is that you actually interact with people. And even just, you know, having a little chat with the policeman in the lift for a few seconds, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's a big thing, I think, to have that kind of communication with people rather than being stuck in the room all by yourself all day. Definitely. I think the uncertainty and not having that human connection has been difficult. Has there been anything over the last, say, few months when you're back in Ireland that you've found has been a real positive factor of the maybe the change in circumstances and the physical restrictions that we've had in place well, I think for people in Ireland, it's it's been great, I think, for people to go and explore, you know, their own country and to see places that they never saw before. And, and even places that are close to home, just you go for a short drive and you can find a new place to walk and to explore. And, and I did a lot of that myself. You know, you realize that it's worth making the effort to take an extra 20 minutes or half an hour to go for a drive and find somewhere new to walk rather than you know, just always doing the same little loop um, from outside your, your door every day. You know, I think it's been great for people to, to do that, to, you know, see what's on their doorstep and appreciate, you know, everything that, that Ireland has to offer. And, you know, even things when I was in Cove, the first couple of weeks I was there, so I was restricting my movements and I wasn't, you know, able to go to the shops or anything like that. But there was a new thing set up. It was called Neighbour Food. So you could order your food online from lots of different places, producers and farmers and growers who would normally go to a farmer's market, but you could do it all online. And then on the Thursday evening, you could go along and pick up your food. You know, you could either walk up and get it with your bags or they would come and put it into your car, depending on, I suppose, what stage you were at, if you were happy to meet people or not. So that was really a good thing to do, I think, for people to, you know, get to know local businesses in their area. Yeah, like that's that is a, a kind of one of the lovely initiatives that have come out of this. Now, Sonia, like you've had dual nationality for for quite some time between obviously Australia and Ireland, quite far apart, one a little smaller than the other. What what have you learned from having spent a lot of time in both that you see one could learn from the other? I mean, what could the Irish learn from the Aussies, and what could the Aussies learn from the Irish? Because you've obviously spent so much time in both. Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's there's quite a lot of similarities between the Irish and Australian people. And, 
the, the lifestyle is is similar in, in different ways, I suppose. I mean, Australia is definitely a bit more outdoors. Um, and I think this year, you know, Irish people were a bit more outdoors in what they were doing. And, you know, even the way cafes were spilling out onto the streets and it, it just became a bit more of a communal kind of and, and more relaxed setting, I think, for people. And so I think Australians are very relaxed in some ways, but then not so relaxed in other ways. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that you just notice it when you're in places. And I think Australians can be very regulatory in how they do things. Like they're very by the book in a lot of ways, but yet they're very relaxed and social. Whereas I think Irish people, I don't know, people just do favors for each other all the time and help each other a bit more. They're a bit more communal. I don't think you get that as much in Australia. It's not as, I suppose, I suppose it's the small town feeling that you get in Ireland where people, everybody knows each other. And and maybe that's, for me, you know, living in a relatively small town in Cove. It was small when I was growing up. It's grown a lot bigger now. It was a time when I probably would have known most people in the town. Now it's, it's definitely grown a lot more. But there's still that community feel and I think, you know, just the local clubs, you know, to be involved with them. I, that, I suppose, in a way, was my lifeline this summer was to be a part of the Cove Triathlon Club and the Ballymore Cove Athletic Club, you know, as much on a social front as training and competing. Yeah. And Sonia, let's just curious about um, an identity piece. Say prior to the coaching and the performance pieces in Australia, say you just flew over to Fremantle. Western Australia near Perth and obviously everyone in Ireland and a lot of other countries would know Sonia Sullivan and synonymous with running you know because of the success you've had through those championships how would you introduce yourself to somebody maybe on a farm in Fremantle who who didn't actually recognize you straight away say hello I'm Sonia Sullivan this is this is me this is what I've done I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell them what I've done. I would just say my name is Sonia, and I'm. Fr- and they'd say, "Where are you from?" And I'd say, "I'm from Ireland." I'd say, "I'm from Cove." I said, "It's a town where a lot of people left from many years ago. Many people came to Australia." So I think I'd be more likely to speak about, you know, my Irish heritage and the history and connection of Ireland to Australia. I would let them, you know, work me out. I'm not. I don't go around with a badge on me saying, you know, I'm an Olympic athlete. I don't think I need to do that and I I would rather not do that. I don't think it's important to have that as a label. And we've heard that humility piece in, in articles you've done before. In terms of pandemic aside, if you were in Australia, what was your day to day over the last few years? What was keeping you going? What were you doing? So I suppose a big part of my life now would be we have two dogs. Snowy is he's going to be eleven at Christmas time. I suppose Snowy was a big part of my life for a long time. He did a lot of running with me. And uh, then he was getting a bit old and uh, wasn't able to go so far. So um, we somehow got a second dog, not totally unplanned, just kind of circumstances meant that Winnie, Winnie came into our life as well. And she's two and she's a bit mad. But yeah, so Snowy now, he in when, when he's with me, I kind of take him for an easy walk up to about 5k. And then Winnie, she's well able to run for an hour or so, so. I think I enjoy having company when I'm out running and doing things. And I suppose a lot of the time, my life and my husband's, his work means that we can be split between Europe and Australia a lot of the year. 
So if you're there by yourself, it's great to have the dogs for company. Also, the past few years, I suppose my, my two daughters, Kira and Sophie, have kept me busy. Um, but now they've both finished school as well. So, yeah, life has been changing a lot the last couple of years. But, yeah, definitely, I suppose, revolves around, it was for a while, Kira and Sophie going to school and all their sports activities. And and then, I suppose, the dogs now are the big part of, you know, when you get up in the morning, that's the first thing you have to do is take them out for a walk. And, Sonia, if we just go back in a couple of years, you obviously went over to the, to the U.S. You know, you, you went to Villanova to the Wildcats and got a scholarship and... You know, I think, I'm not sure if you majored maybe in accountancy, maybe. What was it like? What What was the decision or what was what was the thought process into leaving Cork, leaving Ireland and, and going across to, to the US? What What was that whole experience like for you as, as a young woman, the kind of challenges and, and maybe the excitement around that whole process? Yeah, so I think, you know, when I was growing up in Cove, I, I did a lot of running and training by myself. You know, I took all the different steps progressing through, you know, the D's and then on a few international teams with the schools and junior competitions. So I was just looking for the next step and what was the next thing that was going to help me to improve my running. And at the time, so this was in the late 80s, you know, a lot of athletes, Irish athletes would have gone to college in America on scholarship and it just looked and sounded like a very attractive thing to do you'd get all these little brochures in from the different universities and speak to all the coaches and I was just looking at it you know I just wanted to go and run and be a part of a team and have people to train with you know so eventually I chose to go to Villanova and the main reason I wanted to go there was it was a school where the athletics team was really strong and had a good Irish tradition of athletes who had gone there and then been successful afterwards from Ronnie Delaney and Eamon Coughlin, Marcus O'Sullivan and, and so many more. You know, they're the ones that, you know, really stand out. And then I was the first Irish woman to go to Villanova on a scholarship. So that was pretty exciting. And the coach, Marty Stern, he, you know, was making made a big deal about that at the time. So I suppose, you know, without really acknowledging it or realizing it at the time, for me, it was important to be the first Irish woman to go to Villanova and to maybe start off a new tradition of, of Irish women going and being a part of the great tradition of distance running at Villanova. You know, the team over there, the girls on the team were much better than me. So I felt, you know, that would be a place where if you go and you train and you compete with people who are better than you, then hopefully I would improve as well. You know, the college part of it was... In some ways, it was secondary, but, you know, it was all built in as part of the package that, you know, the, the business school is next door to the the track and the field house where we would meet every day. So everything was very convenient. So you were directed to kind of go and study in the business school. And that's what all the Irish athletes had done before. <laughs> so they probably just boxed us all off into this little section and said, well, it's worked before, so... You've obviously had a fantastic, successful career since then. I'm just wondering, it's not easy to make that transition and it's also not easy to compete outside of your comfort zone. Are there any mental practices or anything you do to make yourself comfortable when there's a challenge ahead or there's a new obstacle in front of you? Well, I, I think in some ways I can kind of relate to that just being here this week, you know. I mean, even just, you know, when 
you get dropped off into a hotel room and normally when you get off a plane you know you're excited to leave the airport and you know rush off and reconnect with people you know who you haven't seen for a while and you know going to cafes and you look forward to your favorite place to go for breakfast or lunch or whatever whereas there was none of that this time you were just dropped into a hotel room and then you're kind of all alone and it's like you know you I really had to not think too far ahead about what this was going to mean and how I was going to deal with it and so I think from the very beginning it was you know just one day at a time that's something that I would have done in my athletics career would be you know one step at a time you set a goal and a target for yourself and you achieve that and then you look ahead to the next goal and target and work out you know how am I going to get there and so it was all always about stepping stones not looking too far ahead and not trying to overreach and take a giant leap before I had gone through the process of being good at one level before moving on to the next level something you know you would do in in training as well you know the big thing when I was evolving and getting better at running and was to run 100 miles a week was a kind of big thing that people used to talk about but then it was okay well when you get to 100 miles a week what what do you do then do you run more or do you get better at doing the 100 and you know I always believed that you got better once you got to a certain point then you had to get better at that before you could move on again and say you know, you're you're at home with Winnie and Snowy and you're going for that ultra run maybe with the with the younger dog or you're there with your daughters, but now you're you're a bit more limited in a hotel room, having been dropped there from an airplane essentially, an escort. Is is there is there something, two or three or four things that you have in that day, no matter where you are, that are kind of part of your route that's part of your routine that really makes up those those small habits that make you who you are? Definitely, yeah. I mean, would definitely be very organized. So one of the first things I did when I went to bed, because it was late at night, once I kind of got my head around that I was not going to be moving from this room, and I had to accept it. When I got up the next morning, I decided, okay, I'm going to go first thing I'm going to organize to go and do some exercise and see what's available. And, you know, in in a normal time, I probably would look at a map and say, okay, where can I go? find a nice park or you know to explore somewhere nice so I just had to go with find out what was available to us but while I was waiting for the the policeman to come and knock on the door and I didn't know when he was going to come I decided okay well I can I have to busy myself here now to not be just sitting here waiting so I started to unpack my bag and to organize my room in a way that you know I'm going to be here for two weeks so um, I might as well be a little bit organized and have a bit of structure of where everything is. Um, and I think I always need to have that. You know, it's like having a tidy desk before you sit down to write something or to, to do some work and to just kind of be organized in what I could see. So then my mind would be organized and a bit more settled and content. And then I suppose the other thing that I would have every day in my routine was um would be coffee is a big thing for me it's a big kind of a a thing (laughs) I have a little bit of a ritual every morning particularly when I'm traveling so I bring some coffee beans with me and a coffee grinder currently my method of making coffee is a filter pour over thing that you sit on your cup 
you grind the beans and then you boil the water and it can't be boiling water so you've got to wait to leave it cool down a little bit <laughs> so it's a bit of a long process to have a cup of coffee but it's one of those things that it just at the moment it's great because it takes time so you can you know take your time doing it but it's just that one more thing that you tick off along in the morning before you sit down and relax and plan out your days I don't feel like I'm I'm not bored here at all like I I have stuff to do all the time and you know in in this hotel room which is just a normal size hotel room I have you have your bedroom your bathroom your kitchen your laundry <laughs> and the office <laughs> and the gym with the bike here as well and a few exercises so there's a lot packed in so there's a constant movement of things and tidying up and you know just having everything in the right place when I want to focus on whatever it is you know I'm doing at that time it's funny my my wife bought me um a sage a very fancy coffee machine a couple of months into the pandemic from from brown thomas online so I, I understand the water has to be 93 degrees for me grinding the beans I totally get it like the presentness you know you can't be doing anything else what beans do you get, Sonia? What are the ones that go into your bag? Where are they from? So I currently have, they're from 3FE in Dublin. And oh, like yeah. that's amazing. Good rep. Over, over the summer in Ireland, I, I, don't, I don't really order that much online. Um, I like to go to the shop and, you know, have a chat and pick up what I need. But this summer in Cove, and, you know, normally I would have been up and down to Dublin all the time and up to Cork sometimes, but I didn't really travel that much this year. So I used to order the coffee beans online and it was amazing. They would turn up, you know, within two days. It was fantastic service. So, you know, I was very appreciative of that. So, yeah, so it was great to have, I had to order the beans before I came to make sure I had enough. And then I picked up a few in London as well. So it's nice to have that smell of coffee beans in your bag as well when you open it up, when you arrive. Absolutely. I was going to ask a question about if running hadn't been your path you followed, what would you have done? And I think you've kind of answered it. It might be barista. a barista or a connoisseur <laughs> of coffee by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there was, I probably missed the window of, you know, being a barista and having a cafe because, you know, it's after exploding now. <laughs> and it's just too easy to go to the cafe. You know, I've, re I've read um, Colin Harmon's book about, you know, what, what I know about running a coffee shop and you know, there's a lot of work involved. I've seen their coffee shop grow from, you know, the very beginning and it's amazing, you know, what they have done and created such a, a brand, you know, that in it's kind of a it's be one of the standout brands in Ireland at the moment. And it's you know, there's been many times when I've got off the plane in Dublin and gone straight to the coffee shop, three FE with with my suitcase and everything. You know, just it's like a destination. I do I do the same thing in our, in Australia. Often we get the bus from the airport, and then you like depending on you know how things are going, and then I can get a train. Depending which train I get, there's always a coffee shop at every train station in Melbourne. You can go and go to the train station and have somebody meet you there, and so it's always a kind of a nice, I suppose, comforting thing to do after arriving from 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 a long flight to I suppose go somewhere familiar and somewhere that you know you're guaranteed to get something that will satisfy you and you know set you off for the day even if you're feeling tired absolutely and look Sonia we we obviously wanted to tap into 
visualization and what would it be like at the start of a, of a big running meet and competition day. But let's park that running piece with the visualization and say, say you open up a cafe in Cove, you know, next, next year, what would be the name of the, of the cafe and kind of what would, what would be in it that would, you know, have your taste and flavor as to, we all know that's your coffee shop. Wow. That's a tough one. I don't know what I would call it now. Maybe I'd call it, um, I suppose I could call it what I use a lot of, for a lot of things is Sonia egg riff, <laughs> but it's quite funny. I use it as my Twitter handle and for a few different things. And, um, a lot of people don't get it. And then when they, re- when they actually realize it, they kind of think, Oh my God, I, I can't believe I've been reading this for so long and I never understood what it was. So it's basically Sonia, my name, it's two words. And then the second word is a G and then a capital R I T H which is the Irish for running. So I think that would be an appropriate name for the cafe. And what would the signature coffee be there, Sonia? Signature coffee. Wow. Um, oh, it would probably have to be some version of a magic, which is one of the coffees that I have quite good fun with because not a lot of people know what it is. <laughs> it's, I, we, um, don't. we don't. We don't. <laughs> so we're writing it down here. As tell us. And I'm going to go home and try later. Uh, and sometimes I just... Uh, sometimes I just ask for a magic just to to get the reaction and see what people think. So it's basically it's a and they do it very well in um in three FE. They it's actually a double espresso macchiato. So then when I went when I was in Australia, and like Australia has always been very good, our coffee has always been very good in Australia. So when I went down there after a summer in Ireland, and I said I wanted a double espresso macchiato, and I had to explain what that was because they do a long black and a short black in Australia it's not quite that so it's a double espresso and then it's kind of a three-quarter level of cappuccino so you fill the cup three quarters so it's probably more coffee than milk is what how you would explain it and then the barista in the cafe in Melbourne said oh you mean a magic yeah one time I was flying through Abu Dhabi I was in the Etihad Airlines they generally make a nice coffee in there. And I went in one day and I said to the fellow behind the counter, I said, do you do a magic? And he said, do I look like a magician? <laughs> <laughs> so he was very quick. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had a bit of a laugh over that. <laughs> you seem to do so much in terms of giving back. So you work with a lot of charities and it's something that's kind of resonating with me and David at the moment because we're starting a new platform called The Learning Physiotherapist, where we're trying to help create a community of mentors and physios who want to learn a bit more. And we're using all the proceeds to go back to charities that are important to us. So I'm just wondering about the energy that you seem to get from all of the charity work you do. Do you want to elaborate a bit on your work with them to date? Yeah, well, I I suppose, you know, over the years, I've connected and interacted with a lot of different charities and from national charities in Ireland to local charities. And it's very hard to say no to a charity and to, to help them out. And then as time went on, I realized that, you know, you can't, or I can't spread myself too thinly because then the value that, you know, I have to give to a charity gets diluted and, and the energy that I have, gets diluted so I had to choose a few different ones that you know I suppose I connected with from early days and was happy to support and 
you know, I mean, every charity has value and, you know, you feel like you have to help and everybody's such a good cause and the work that they do. But you can't help everybody. You can support a lot of charities, but the ones that you give a lot of your time to, like I do a lot with, um, for instance, Breast Cancer Ireland, Great Pink Run and the Irish Guide Dogs, just connected with the events that they have and then met people who benefited from the charities. So it just gave me, I suppose it just makes you feel good to be able to have the energy to to put into these charities and to help promote them and to give the exposure needed. And then sometimes I get a lot back as well because many charities are linked with different runs and cycles and swims. So it becomes a double benefit in that, you know, you give your time and energy, but then you also are given these experiences that you get to share with so many other people. And, you know, for any challenges and events that I've done, it's always been great to to do it with other people and to, I suppose, have something to look forward to. Um, And that's something that I think a lot of people have missed this year, particularly, is a lot of the events that are linked to charities and energy and the motivation that they give people to train for all the different events when they're looking forward to them. So it's been amazing really to see a lot of the virtual events attract so many people to get together in their own small communities and continue to support the charities and raise money and awareness and keep the it's normally a big event, but they still keep it alive in in a time when we can't have it as big as it normally is. It's been a difficult year for a lot of people. It's been a difficult year for a lot of charities. So I think the level of support that any charity has got this year is greatly appreciated. And, you know, people will be able to give back even more. You know, we all get together again and run marathons and do cycling sportifs and swims and triathlons and you know all these different challenges that are out there for people and Sonia just I I know you you hear this so often but I just personally want to acknowledge you on on that part as well because obviously we had a little bit of a conversation on email and uh, something you said resonated with me about the work you do and obviously it's feeding into some of the passion projects I'm trying to do so um, fair play to you Sonia just want to ask a philosophical question. One of my last ones really is you've had quite a journey to date. You know, you've impacted a lot of different people. You've run around the world about 20 times at this point, I'm sure. And you probably run to Saturn and back. And say if you were starting off and it's your, your first day in Villanova and, you know, you've just left, you've just left home. What would you tell to a younger version of yourself? What would you tell that young Sonia who's just starting off on the whole thing? to maybe prepare yourself a little bit for what's ahead of you? I think to embrace everything that comes your way and to be open to lots of different things, you know, not be too narrow-minded and single-minded and just think that you only are to stick in one lane of the track, you know, to take the time to look around and to see what else you can do. Because I think even though, you know, to be a great athlete and to compete on the highest stage there's definitely times when you have to be single-minded and focused but I think in the early days of an athlete I think there is definitely time to embrace other things and to take on many experiences 
new activities as you can and to meet as many people as you can. I think the more people that you talk to, the more insight you have into things that you don't know about. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting hearing you look back and trying to plan for Sophie's future. I'm wondering, what are you thinking about your own future? What's the purpose, the target, the end goal that you mentioned earlier for you now? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty difficult at the moment. In a way, I suppose my life has changed a lot the past few years, just from a family perspective. My oldest daughter, Kira, is going to Melbourne University and she moved out of home as well. So, you know, it'll be just myself and Nick and the two dogs now. <laughs> and so in some ways you're free to do what you like, but in other ways you're kind of, you're still kind of hovering and waiting because Kira and Sophie are still you know, they've gone off doing their own thing, but, you know, there'll be times when they'll still come back home and need you there for them. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm not 100% sure <laughs> where I'm going at the moment. But I think I've been away from Australia now for since July, so it's the longest I've been away for a long time. I'm really looking forward to, you know, going back and doing a lot of the things that I enjoy doing. I'll definitely have a lot more time to myself because there'll be no school drop-offs and pickups and all the different sporting events and different things to attend. But I always find that no matter how much time you think you have, you still, it's always hard to find the time to do everything that you want to do. Like I often walk into a bookshop. I love bookshops as much as coffee shops nearly. And you see all the books you think, oh, I'll never have time to read all these books I want to read. And like yeah. half my bag that I brought with me, like, you know, I don't realize it when I'm packing my bag, but I'm putting books in as I'm going along. And when I arrive and I unpack my bag and I think, oh, no wonder the bag was so heavy. There's so many books in here. <laughs> when, when you tell someone that, they say, why wouldn't you buy a Kindle? And I'm like, well, it's not the same. <laughs> so I do have a little mini library in here in my hotel room as well. I'm going to have to plug Daunt. Um, I don't know anyone really, but Sonia, Daunt is a bookstore in London. In a, There's a couple of them, but there's one in Marylebone, not too far from where I used to work. And they have an, a lovely thing when they give you a gift book subscription every year, so around Christmas, and you get a random book in genres you like every month that comes to your doorstep beautifully packaged. Wow. Um, and it's been a thing that my mom and dad have actually given to me for the last three years. So every Christmas... I'll get a, a Daunt book subscription. So every month I'll be like, what's this? Oh, it's it's a book on this part of the Crimean War or whatever. Um, so yeah, I can totally, totally relate to the collection of books that you want to get get through. It's just trying to find the time for it as well. Yeah. Sitting around the hotel I, in the morning, you know, I make my, my coffee and my breakfast and I sit down and my plan is to sit down and read my book for an hour but it can take me about two hours to actually get to sitting down and reading the book. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing in that two hours, but <laughs> there's always something. I mean, the situation I'm in now, I suppose I have that little bit more time to, to reply to people that I don't normally reply to immediately. And, you know, you get engaged in little different conversations that normally you don't have time to because you're off running out the door, busy doing something. Sonia, Every guest that comes on the show, we always finish with a, a very simple question at the end. And the prelude to it would be the fact that, you know, you are the epitome of high performance. 
Never mind what happened with Villanova and then what happened in the Olympics and championships and so forth. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about the fact that on my wife's hen night prior to me getting married, she did the Great Pink Run. It's something you're an ambassador for. You do that all the time, as well as all the other things you do. So your um, high performance kind of broadens across to so many different areas. So our last question from the two of us here at CP Performer Pete, Sonia, is what does high performance mean to you? And I, I know this question because I've, I've heard it many times on the podcast. And every time I hear it, I think, what would I say to that? What, what answer would I give to that? I think high performance is when you set yourself a goal or a target and you do everything you can to achieve that as best you can. High performance can be different for different people. There's high performance going to the Olympics and world championships. And so you really are at the elite end and you do everything you possibly can to be the best that you can. But then there's high performance in a normal person's life might be completing a marathon. And if I'm talking to somebody who's in that, I say, well, the best thing that you can do is to be as prepared as you possibly can so that you can enjoy the experience. I think for me, when you line up for a world championships or an Olympics or, you know, a highly competitive race, if you know that you've prepared as best you can and, you know, you're confident that you're going to be able to go out and run the best race that you can, then you're going to enjoy it. You might be nervous when you're standing on the start line, but as soon as the gun goes off, it's a game. So it's a bit like there's a book, it's called Train Hard, Run Easy. And I would kind of think, well, you train hard and then you play the game. And and it is playing because you're doing what you love to do. And you're at a level where you're able to compete and keep up at the highest level. So I think, you know, high performance is being as well prepared as you can be to get out and enjoy doing what you most want to do. Sonia Sullivan, from the two of us here, all the way back in Ireland, we'd like to say, hope all goes okay for you over the next couple of weeks in, in, in quarantine in Australia. Hope you get some nice food at your doorstep. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> keep, keep making your coffee. We're going to go to a coffee shop down by the Botanical Gardens in Glasnevin today. And I'm going to put them on a spot. They do make a good coffee. (laughs) We'll ask for magic and we'll see what we get. We'll see what luck we get. And uh, I'll let you know. Well, I have a few of the local ones I go to in Cork and um, even in Teddington in in London. They know exactly when I come in. (laughs) They they know. (laughs) The usual. She's the one. There's there's a lovely cafe in Cove called Sea Salt. They even have a special cup for me. Sonia, thank you very much for your time. Um, I'm glad we finally spoke. We're both really grateful. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You know, You're as, very as welcome. Best you can. And look, stay in touch. Thank you very much. Okay, I will, of course. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks, Sonia. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.